Super Talk Mississippi media production. Well, free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour. Bob Getty and Luke Johnson from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. Glad you're with us this afternoon, whether you're listening on a Super Talk station or online. Uh, we're glad to have you part of the show. Today's show, uh, first segment, as always, sponsored by our good friends at Dickey's Barbecue Pit, proud supporters of Southern Miss Athletics. And, of course, the Eagle Hour, you can enjoy their delicious food. All their restaurants cook it in-house seven days a week right here in Hattiesburg. They're located right next to the mall. Great food seven days a week. drive through, take home. You can now dine back in the restaurant again. And uh, we encourage you to support all of our restaurants in Mississippi, locally owned, of course. And that includes Dickie's Barbecue right here in Hattiesburg. Kelly Sander will be joining us later in the program. Uh, glad to have you with us again this afternoon. Luke, a beautiful day here in Hattiesburg. I hope the same in downtown Laurel. Yeah, it's beautiful. Woke up this morning and needed some gills in a scuba suit uh, to wade through the humidity here in Jones County. But uh, it's turned out to be a pretty good day, and it's going to be hot, but I'm just glad the sun's shining. All right. Bo Cockfield is our first guest on the show today. We're excited about having him on the show. Bo was a, a linebacker for Jeff Bowers' Golden Eagles and uh, has lived an exciting life ever since. Uh, Kelly Sander is actually the one that hooked us up with you, Bo. We're glad to have you on the Eagle Hour. Well, I'm glad. I'm honestly glad to be here. Well, good. We're glad to have you. So you were a linebacker uh, for Jeff Bowers' Golden Eagles. So I guess you're, you're lucky in the respect you got to, you got to play in the heyday when, uh, when the winningest coach in school history was in charge. Well, actually, I did. I didn't. Um, I didn't get to play with Jeff. Jeff was the quarterback at that time. Oh, my mistake. Okay. Well, you go way back then, don't you? I go way back to PW. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll uh, scold Kelly Sander for that uh, for that poor information. I guess you'd be shocked to know that Kelly Sander gave us bad information, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, that's even more interesting. Uh, so you knew Jeff Bauer the quarterback as opposed to Jeff Bauer, the head coach. When you were playing with Jeff Bauer, could you have ever envisioned that he would lead the program and, and be considered the greatest coach Southern Miss ever had? No, no, I, I honestly did not believe that uh, that Jeff was, you know, when I first saw him, he was, a, you know, small, a small young man. And, uh, of course, you know, we all were young, but uh, he actually came from Walford and my high school coach, my senior year in Lake City, he actually left after the football season and went to Walford as a coach and was part of Jeff Bowers' uh, college career there. Hmm. How about that? How about and, that? Uh, you know, Jeff left and came to Southern Miss, and, and and I met him, and we talked about, you know, Bob Ivey, my high school coach, and, um, and I said, you know, he just, I don't believe he's big enough. And uh, he proved me wrong. He was a great quarterback. Yeah, he was a very good quarterback. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Again, you can blame Kelly Sander for this, okay? All right. Kelly said for me to ask you about your recruiting history, that you were a highly recruited kid out of high school, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, 
Southern Miss, and then you took the ACT test. And it was a, it was it well, it was a disaster. <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't gonna waste my time sitting in there for a half a day, and I told the, the guy that rode with me. He went on and played at at um, a junior college and left, transferred there, and went to play at Clemson for two years. And he was he was one of my uh, offensive defensive tackles in high school, and I said, Bill. I'm not sitting in here all day. I'm reading read 100 questions, but I don't know the answers to any of them. I said, I'm done. And uh, I did just that. And uh, ended up making 500. And, um, of course, I think they give you 400. I'm not sure. But, anyhow, <laughs> I was proud of that. So I got up and left, you know. Luke Johnson, uh, Bo Cockfield. Uh, Bo, thanks so much for being on. Um, you played 72 and 73, correct? Yes, sir. So you came in your first year there was Ray Guy's senior year. I was uh, I was a punter for the Golden Eagles, and whenever you punt for the Golden Eagles, there's always one guy that's literally in front of everything you do. Um, playing for playing with him, what do you remember about Ray Guy and, and just overall the athlete that he was? Gosh, no. Uh, listen, I've seen some great ones in my time, but Ray is probably the greatest athlete all around I have ever seen in my life. Um, from basketball to golf, I mean, when he played in the Pro-Am at the Magnolia Classic time, he shot a three under par. Uh, you know, it's, it's unreal, the talent that that guy had. And uh, intramural sports, he played, we, you know, we played softball and all like that with the intramural sports. Ray scored 30 points in a basketball game. And then his baseball, you know, talent that he had, a pitcher, had a 105-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, he he was the, probably the most talented athlete I have ever seen. Hmm. And what's sad is he could probably go out there and do it right now. That's what's how, how amazing it, it still is. You played for P.W. Underwood, and, and when we were uh, when I played for Coach Bauer, we would get reminders about uh, Coach Underwood. They would he would come out, and Coach Underwood sometimes during two days would give us a speech. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. He was just a, a football guy and a football coach in every sense of the word. It seems. Well, PW was, you know, he he was really kind of old school kind of guy. You know, it was rough, tough. The more you bled, you know, the better you supposed to play. <laughs> you know, he was that kind of guy, and and I, you know, I didn't believe in some of some of the things that we did, but you know, we had to do it. I mean, he was the coach, and you got to respect your coach. And but there were some of the things that I didn't believe in, but listen, we did it anyhow. Did it in? Yeah, it's like kind of like your father. Whenever he said no, and you know he meant no, and then when he told you to do something, you did it. <laughs> he, he was a real sweetheart, right? Real gentle with all you guys. Oh yeah. Oh Lord, I could hear his voice in my sleep at night. <laughs> I've always heard this story. Maybe you can tell me. It may not be any truth to it at all, but I've, I've been told this story that. The football team was practicing one afternoon, and across the campus, the band was practicing, and you could hear the band over in the distance, but you really couldn't see them. And one of those South Mississippi thunderstorms blew up, and right above the practice field, it was just pouring rain, and it was lightning crashing everywhere. And someone told PW that for the safety of the players, he should get them off the field, 
And his comment was, well, I'll be damned if the football players are going to leave the field as long as I can hear the band. And he made the football team stay there under the lightning storm uh, because the band across the campus, not under the lightning storm at the moment, was still practicing. Does that sound like a true story to you? <laughs> it's very well possible. I don't remember it, but it's very well possible. I know we were coming back from Utah one night. We landed in Texas. And uh, I don't know whether we just landed there to refuel or something, but anyhow, we were in Texas. And we sat on the runway forever. Finally, we were getting restless. They sent out and got food for us. And, it, and, and, and then what we actually were waiting on, there was a tornado that was coming through Hattiesburg. At, out near the airport, and we were waiting on that to pass. And I'd be daggone if P.W. didn't tell him to take off. And I'll never forget, I was sitting with Gary Roberts, one of the other linebackers, and he was paranoid about flying anyhow, and that plane was like a yo-yo coming in. I mean, it was up, down, sideways. And, I mean, we were looking out the window trying to see lights, you know, to see how high we were off the, off the ground. And all of a sudden, I said, Gary, what do you see? At times I said that the plane touched down, I thought Gary was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a minute left in this segment. We're going to ask you to hold over because I want to talk to you about another part of your life. But uh, in the last 60 seconds of this segment – how did you end up actually at Southern Miss, Bo? Uh, Coach Frank Howard, um, he called me up one night and uh, asked me to, you know, was I still interested in playing because I had been, you know, uh, shot down by, you know, Georgia, uh, Clemson, I mean, Clemson, South Carolina, all of that because of my, my SAT score. And I told him, yeah. And uh, he said, well, he said, listen, he said, I know a school in Hattiesburg, Mississippi called Southern Miss. You may not be heard of it, but he said it's a fine school. And he said, uh, if you're interested, here's the number. And I called him and sent him some film, and the rest is history. Right. Great decision, I'm going to guess, on your part, too. Yep. I enjoyed it down there. I had some wonderful friends that we still stay in touch. John Sawyer, Gary Roberts, Steve Hill. Brad Bowman, and two of them from Tennessee, and, and, and two of them from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. All right, we're talking to Bo Cockfield, former linebacker for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, who went on in his life, according to Kelly, to be a crew member in an Indy race car organization. So we want to talk to him about that exciting aspect of his life as the Eagle Hour continues with Bo Cockfield. We'll be right back. Southern Miss to the top. Welcome back. Wednesday edition of the Eagle Hour. Glad you're with us. Bob and Luke from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. Kelly will be joining us in the second half of the show. We're talking to Bo Cockfield, former 
linebacker for P.W. Underwood's Southern Miss Golden Eagles. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmark, campusbookmark.net, proud supporters of the show and, of course, the university. You can visit them on Hardy Street. They're open six days a week. Back open now for your convenient shopping, or if you prefer to do it online, you can still do that at campusbookmark.net. Bo Cockfield from South Carolina is on the show. All right, Bo, so you had a, you had a good football career here, made a lot of friends that uh, you've indicated to us are still your friends today. But after you left Southern Miss, you go back to South Carolina, NASCAR country, but you end up getting involved in Indy car racing uh, on the crew of an Indy car team called Team Extreme. Uh, boy, that seems like a long shot. How did that happen? <laughs> it was like a dream, you know. Uh, uh, my cousin, he had, he had already he had always you know wanted to race. That was a fantasy of his, was to own a race team, and uh, and and by gosh, he did it, and he. Decided he was going into any racing because the NASCAR was, you know, so so much money and so, you know, competitive. I uh, just couldn't get in NASCAR, so he went into any racing. Then. And he asked me that I want to be a part of it, and and I said, yeah. And I'll never forget the first race I went to, uh, had on that fire suit and was in that pit. I thought I was at the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was unbelievable exciting. Right. What what did you do on the on the crew? I, I had I did multiple things to start out with. I I was the flagman, and anyhow, when the car would come into the pit, you drop the flag down so the car knows exactly where to stop, and he'll be running fifty mile an hour, and they can put that nose of that car on that flag, and you don't even hardly see it bump it. Hmm. And uh, I did that for a year, and then then they put me on um, the starter. Uh, I was in charge of the starter and the right rear tire. And uh, as they came in the pit and changed tires, I had to have the starter ready in case the car stalled. And if it stalled, I would hand it across the wall, and it weighed probably about 50 pounds. I would hand it across the wall to one of the pit crews that was over there changing tires, and they would start the car and... You know, it'd be on its way, and uh, and then I had to get the tire out of the way, the right rear. I had to get it out of the way, uh, you know, where they would have room to to maneuver around the car. Mm-hmm. And all of this is done just as quickly as it can be humanly done, correct? Six seconds. Six seconds. Is that right? Six seconds. Look at it. That car comes in, gets four tires and twenty gallons of fuel in six seconds. That's just incredible, isn't it? That's yes, it is. And here you are in the middle, though. You're, you're doing this when you're living in the middle of. It was NASCAR as the king in South Carolina, correct? Yeah, yeah. Look here, uh, old Cal Yarber was. He was rolling back then. Mm-hmm. And, and he's actually was um, our next door neighbor at Lake Marion. Mm-hmm. Well, you gave and, Luke uh, and I during the break an astonishing figure of what it cost back in that day. To get involved in NASCAR racing, can you tell our listeners that? Oh, listen! I, and, and back in the in the middle of nineties, just for a hood decal, and it, like if you wanted to put your logo on the hood of NASCAR, it was about nine million dollars just for the hood decal. Hmm. Crazy, crazy money! All right, Luke, get back yeah. in here. 
Bo, when, you know, when you talk about being down there on the pit crew, um, we were joking yesterday about uh, if you know your your level, the the cars just go by uh, in a blur, and that's NASCAR, and that's close to two hundred miles an hour. Indy cars get up what two thirty, two fifty. All the straightaways, they can, you know, uh, 225, you know, about as fast as I've seen them go. But I would imagine now that, that they can probably bump, you know, 230. Uh, in but I tell in you the what, midst you of a race, I'm sorry, go ahead. You just wouldn't believe the friends that I met in this thing here. Yeah, it's unreal. Bob Becker, he was the senior vice president of Smith Transporting, who, uh, you know, had a sponsor with us and, and furnished uh, two big semi-tractors, trailer trucks to pull our race cars from race to race. And uh, Bob was a just a super, super nice guy, and we're still in touch today as we talk. Hmm. You know, racing is one of those things, exactly what you just said. People don't think about it as much as they do. There's always a fraternity in, in every single sport. If you're part of the same company or the same car or the same team, but outside of that too, I would assume it's the same. It's the same in racing. There's there's friendships and bonds that go down the years because of the common uh, the the common uh, theme of of the track itself. Well, you know, you you listen. I was with the race team about a, a little bit more than at that time than I was with my family. So you know, you 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 do a lot of traveling with this. But the you know guys, um, we you know we would race on on Saturday, and um, I would leave South Carolina on Wednesdays. I would fly wherever we were you know racing at. When I got there, you know we had a lot of things we had to do. We had to set up the hospitality you know trailer and stuff like that, and get everything ready you know out in the in the uh, garage for you know to work on the car. Uh, you were just constantly busy. And when dark come, you were glad to go home. <laughs> I go to that motel room. And it started over the next day. And, and, and listen, just the tire bill, the tire bill for any race car, just one car, would, would probably max $30,000. Hmm. So it takes one a lot race, of money. It takes a tremendous amount of money. You know, an engine, $240,000 for an engine. Uh, and, and it may run an hour, and it might not run that uh, hour. You know, I've seen them blow up within five or six laps. Hmm. How about that? So, to this day, you remain an Indy, uh, you remain an Indy car fan, I'm sure. In your years uh, with the Indy circuit, did you run into Southern Miss people ever, Bo? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I bumped in. And matter of fact, we had an old boy that played, um, that played, uh, he didn't play at Southern Miss, but he played at Penn State. And, uh, anyhow, he, uh, went on and played in the NFL and he was a huge dude. And, uh, we had trouble with the car one day in the pit and it wouldn't stay running and they decided they were going to push it and crank it. And I can't remember what his name was, but he jumped out there and he was huge. He must have weighed 275. And, and he was pushing that car look like it was about twenty miles an hour. <laughs> uh, so how many but years were you involved in that? I was in it for nine years, and I got to tell you one story that I honestly thought that my wife and and, and three of my friends were going to get run over by the injured cars. Uh, 
we were down at the grid at the starting line. And anyhow, they did old, old uh, Indiana, and uh, they did all the singing, the national anthem, the self bomber flew over. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, and Jim Rockford was coming by, and he was touching all the drivers on the head and, and, and get, wishing them good luck. And one of my buddies was wanting Jim Rockford's autograph. Anyhow, make a long story short, the car started rolling off. So I got to get the starter back down to the pit in case the car comes in with any kind of problems and, you know, it stalls out. I got to get that starter back. So I'm running, and we on the opposite end. And I'm running with that big old starter in a wagon. And I look up, and my wife and three of my friends are running down the track trying to get in their stands where they're supposed to be. And every gate they come to is locked. And you can hear them cars on the back straight away. Ooh, I mean, they they are coming, my friend. And anyhow, you can start to see them coming around on turn four. And my wife and them is still running down the runway. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm a witness or get killed right here. Or either they're going to have to stop the race. And that will be some embarrassment. And the last gate they reached up and pulled on is open. And them cars come by. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Close call. I'm not out of heart attack. Yes, right. it was. Close call. All right, uh, just a few seconds left. Uh, let our listeners know, but where are you listening now? What's going on in your life? Well, you know, I'm I'm retired, and uh, I still live right here on the family farm in Stratton, South Carolina. Uh, married with two children. Both kids are doing extremely well. Uh, both of them are great athletes when they were in high school. My son was uh, he he went and played uh, football at the at the Citadel. My daughter had an athletic scholarship in um, in South Carolina for softball. She played uh, on five years, four state championships. She won, and uh, you know they were just great athletes, and that was the reason that I actually quit the Indy race team uh, because I knew they were going to be when they got in high school. I, I, I had to watch them play. Right, for sure. Well, it sounds yeah. like life has been really good to you. We're grateful to you for sharing your story with our listeners around the state. And uh, thanks again for being on the show. We wish you nothing but the best, Bo. Well, listen, I want to say hello to old John Sawyer, Brad Bowman, and Steve Hiddle, and Coach Ben Calhoun. There we go. All right, Bo. Listen, we remember when Coach Calhoun had an afro. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bo. We appreciate you, buddy. Bye-bye. Bo Cockfield, everybody, in South Carolina. Former Southern Miss football player turned Indy racer. Now retired and living a good life on the East Coast. We'll be right back. Tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Back on a sunny Wednesday. Thank you for joining us on the Eagle Hour. Bob and Luke from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg. And downtown Laurel, third segment of the Eagle Hour, brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located on 4th Street in Hattiesburg. Be sure to swing by and get a great lunch. It only costs $8.95, comes with a drink. You can always hop on 4th Street's 
Facebook page and see what uh, the lunch of the day is. And, and while you're there, go see some of that great Southern Miss memorabilia. Four Street Bar and Grill, proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour. Appreciate Bo Cockfield joining us the first two segments. And uh, Kelly uh, told us a story there, uh, pretty pretty intense. Uh, his, his wife and some friends jumped out of the way just as the cars came around one of those blazing turns. It's an incredible sight, isn't it, the Indy 500? Yeah, and, and he and he's even he's even said you know that he's been to a lot of sporting events, but there's uh, there's nothing like you know an IndyCar race, particularly the biggest one, you know, the granddaddy of them all, the, the Indianapolis 500. I actually, I actually, the way I met Bo Cockfield was in 2004. My son and I, my son's now 24 years old, and he was like seven or eight, and we were in Phoenix for the IndyCar race, and I happened. To, his favorite driver was a guy named Ayrton Dare from uh, Brazil. So we emailed the race team and said, you know, any way that my son could meet Ayrton Dare. And lo and behold, their PR people emailed us back like within the hour and said, sure, meet us at such and such a gate at such and such time. So me and my son are there with bells on, and this was probably the Friday of race week, the race on Sunday. And so he not only got to meet Ayrton Dare, he got pictures taken with Ayrton Dare. He got to sit in the car, car number 88. And we had lunch with them. And so Ayrton was talking to my son, and here comes the rest of the crew, and this big old, big old guy with that booming voice says, "Now, where did y'all say you was from?" And I said, <laughs> "I said Hattiesburg, Mississippi," and it was Bo Cockfield, and he thought that somebody had put me up to it—that it was some kind of a joke. And I said, "No, I really live in Hattiesburg." Why? He said, "Do you know an old boy named Jeff Bauer?" <laughs> I said, "As a matter of fact, I do, Bo." And they had lost touch with each other. So I gave him, you know, Coach Bauer's number and address. And Coach Bauer sent Bo a whole box of Southern Miss footballs, hats, shirts, things like that. And Bo sent Coach Bauer a whole box of Team Extreme stuff. Same thing, hats and shirts and and IndyCar so stuff. Cool. But, mm. but like Bo said, if it, if it if Bo has said, if it weren't for the success that his kids have had on the on the playing field, he'd still be doing the IndyCar stuff. That's what he told us. He got out of it so he could watch his kids play. Both of which were uh, apparently very good athletes. One at the Citadel and one at uh, South Carolina. So you, you can't blame him for that. Did Did he tell you about his prowess with the uh, SAT? Yeah, he did. Which I don't really know how to take that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're, you're choosing between Clemson, South Carolina, and Georgia. Your ACT is so bad, you come to Southern Miss. I well, wasn't he never really, heard I wasn't really he heard of those other schools after. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> so said he sat there for an hour and he got bored and left. <laughs> yeah, they said that somebody asked Bo if he was the sharpest crayon in the box, and his response was. What's a crayon? <laughs> well, it was a great interview. We appreciate that. All right, now, guys, we, we've talked a lot about what are colleges going to do about football this fall, and I, I ran across something today I thought you guys would find interesting. Uh, University of Nebraska and Ohio State. Now, first of all, Nebraska, guys, listen to this, has sold out every home game since 1962, and 93% of the tickets they sell every year are season ticket renewals. So they're not having any problems getting people to the game at Nebraska. But they're looking this fall at uh, seating their stadium at only 50% capacity, of, obviously for the COVID-19 reasons. They have seven home games scheduled this fall. And so here's their idea, Kelly, that they would divide their ticket base up, their fans up, uh, in half. And uh, they would uh, they would give 
half of the uh, half of the tickets uh, to to four games and half of the tickets to three games. So instead of the same group of fans uh, being among the fifty percent capacity that gets to see every game, they would include all their ticket holders and they would divide up the games that Section A being half of the fans and Section B. Uh, could attend, and that way everybody gets to see a few games. Your thoughts about that? Well, the only problem I would have with that, and it's on paper, it's it's noble, but if there's an odd number of games, obviously the people that only got to see three games would get the short end of the stick, but are you going to charge full prices? See, that's that's kind of the whole deal. That the, that's what is at the root of this problem with baseball, is the baseball players say, well, if we're going to play half the games, then we should be paid half of our salary. And, and, and on the surface, that argument makes sense. But then the owners say, yeah, you're going to play half the games, but I can't give you half your salary because our, our stadiums are not going to be full. Mm-hmm. Therefore, right. we as owners are not going to make the same kind of money. Right. So right. It's, a, it's a complicated issue. And then if the people at Nebraska only get the three-game tickets, then what are they going to do to make it up to them next year? Right. Well, here are two other here are two other ideas that are being floated around according to this article. Some universities are exploring the possibility of having a ticket lottery system, where you get tickets uh, to the upcoming game based on your luck in the lottery. And then Ohio State. Uh, this gets, this reminded me of you. You've always said that everything in college athletics comes back to money. I think you're Good right night. about that. They have a 102,000-seat stadium. They're talking about allowing 50,000 people in for a game. And they have a priority system for which you can get those tickets. Number one priority, Kelly Santer, how much money have you donated to the Ohio State football program? Boy, I'm shocked. Number two, how many consecutive years have you bought season football tickets to Ohio State? Three... Past athletes, letter winners would get tickets, and fourth on the list is players' families. So the the families of the players come three spots below how much money have you donated. It, it's a shame that there's only so many spots available, and you do have to. I'm not surprised at all by that. That you wouldn't have even had to tell me that, Bob, and I, I would have guessed it. Right. The only the only thing that I'm surprised they're not doing is literally having people bid on tickets on an individual game basis. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't don't give the season ticket holders any advantages, nothing. Just say, look, we don't have any season ticket holders this year. You can have your money back. Every single game, you're going to have to bid for tickets. And as soon as the top, you know, whatever bids are gone, the tickets are gone, then we're done. Right. Luke, so, right. if you're an Ohio State fan, you know, the Michigan tickets would be higher than if, when they played Purdue, for example. Right. It's... It's a delicate balance because you don't want to do anything this year that's going to tick your fan base off for next year. So in the attempt to try to get some money for this year, you basically block out the next five years. Somebody will get mad. You know, with, with Ohio State, Nebraska specifically, Nebraska's plan might work, but I think it would be this is a, a way to split it up. You've got seven home games, um, but you've only got three uh, conference home games. 
So with Nebraska specifically, their first four games are at home. Purdue, Central Michigan, South Dakota State, Cincinnati. You could give one block that that four-game swing. And then homecoming against Illinois, uh, Penn State at home, and Minnesota at home. And, you know, that might suffice. Somebody gets an extra game and somebody takes a lesser game because it's a conference opponent. Same way with uh, Ohio State, uh, Bowling Green, Buffalo, Rutgers. And then you could get an Iowa because you got Nebraska, Indiana, and Michigan. You know, if you're Ohio State and you were to split them up like that um if you get the michigan game you might only get two two games you know it, it's just you again you don't want to do something though and this is the this is the the delicate balance you ride you you may win one season and then you may tick off people for the next five or ten i think with ohio state nebraska you don't have to worry about that as much i played at nebraska those fans are absolutely incredible i will put the nebraska fan base up against anybody in the country because when we beat them they gave us a standing ovation when we when we walked out. Programs in the group of five are going to have to be far more delicate than the Power Five will be not to alienate the fan base this year. Well, how about Nebraska? They you know they haven't been very good in the last few years, but they sell out every home every game every home game sold out at Nebraska since 1962. You weren't even alive, Luke Johnson. Uh, you were. I was. Kelly was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, Kelly, but you weren't alive in 1962, were you? Yeah, I was alive in 60. Are you kidding? You know, I was I was almost ready for my my nom number, you know, for, in the draft. But you, you know, have you ever you're been confusing to him again. Uh, he doesn't understand what you're talking about, Kelly. Oh, that that's right. There yeah. was a thing called a draft back in the day, Luke. Anyway, right. Right. Uh, and it wasn't a tonight's Major League Baseball draft, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't the same draft, I can tell you that. No, for sure. Yeah, have right. you guys ever been to Lincoln, Nebraska? Oh, you talk about selling things out. You think we have nothing to do down here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, buddy. You can't argue about the loyalty of their fan base, can you? No. Sold out every game. And, Luke, I'm assuming they've got a pretty big stadium. They do, but it's it's surprisingly not as big. When we were there, it was like mid seventies. They may have expanded a little bit, but most of it is in goes from like the twenties around in the horseshoe. So the the volume compacts. It doesn't expand like west to west. It's north to south, and it just makes it a bowling cauldron. It's incredible. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I do remember well the game you're talking about and the way Nebraska fans reacted. Uh, nothing but high class, uh, clearly at the University of Nebraska. All right, Jack Duggan sent me some good information, guys, on Major League Drafts and how Southern Miss has played into that. We'll go over that and some other stuff when the Eagle Hour wraps up. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Back on a Wednesday, Toyota of Hattiesburg brings you the fourth segment of the Eagle Hour every single day. You can also check them out online, toyotahattiesburg.com. Proud sponsor of the Eagle Hour, Bob and Luke. 
from Laurel and Hattiesburg in the First Bank Studios. Go see the Perfect Ten, Reggie Collier, and all of our great friends, Daniel Stewart, and the whole gang at First Bank for all your financial needs. Great people. Great location out there on Highway 98. We greatly appreciate their studio sponsorship of the Eagle Hour. All right, Major League Baseball draft going down uh, tonight, guys. It's a little different. Uh, you don't get the Flyers in the 38th round. There's only five rounds for the draft tonight. Uh, expect some Southern Miss players uh, to possibly uh, get signed. I think Hunter Stanley's a good option. Somebody uh, possibly, you, you look at Walker Powell, you look at uh, Matthew Gidry, thankfully Gabe Shepard off the table. Uh, we've, we've got him for another year as a true sophomore. Um, but but a good chance that uh, Hunter Stanley's going to go somewhere. Uh, Bob, Jack sent you kind of the lowdown on uh, Major League draft history in Southern Miss. He did. The old left-hander, Jack Duggan, uh, very kind of him to do that. Uh, so he gets some great trivia here, guys. Uh, 83 baseball players drafted, Southern Miss baseball players drafted uh, since the draft started. The first guy drafted was in 1966, Kelly Santer. He went to the San Francisco Giants. Do you have any idea who that might be? Touchdown, Tommy Waters. <laughs> no, he, he he came into the greatest quarterbacks the in, in history. Uh, Luke, okay. you know, don't you? Frank Baker. Frank Baker. All right. Now, Kelly, you're bound to know this. The last, the last Southern Miss baseball player drafted, it occurred in 2019, and I think you actually coached this kid at one time. Would that be Joseph Charles Keyes? That would be the only one and only J.C. Keyes who uh, goes to the Cincinnati Reds. He's a great kid, isn't he, Kelly, outside yeah, of very, baseball? Very, very soft-spoken, but man, tenacious on the field. Yeah, great. He was just – it was so much fun watching uh, J.C. play. All right, so here, here's by the decades, guys, and I think this illustrates – the growth and success of the Southern Miss athletic or the Southern Miss baseball program. In the 1960s, four players were drafted. In the 1970s, five. In the 1980s, 11. In the 1990s, 23. In the 2000s, 23. And uh, in the decade now, the 2010 decade, 26 kids uh, drafted, uh, the most ever drafted to a single team. The White Sox have drafted uh, seven Golden Eagle players, the Cardinals six, the Phillies five, the Pirates, the Red Sox, and the Royals four, the Astros, the A's, the Reds, the Yankees three, the Blue Jays, the Braves, the Diamondbacks, the Indians, the Mets, the Orioles, Tigers, and Twins have drafted two, the Brewers, Cubs, Mariners, Marlins, and Rockies, and Angels have each drafted one. And uh, two more quick things. Uh, the highest pick ever, Luke. Biggin. Biggin. Roy Hobbs, the man named Matt Walner, yes. The Biggin. Last was, year. Yeah, the number, the 39th player uh, drafted. And the lowest pick uh, was in 1992, Mickey Dutel, D-U-T-I-L, drafted in the 46th round by the Pittsburgh Pirates. We appreciate Jack. Hey, he may have been touchdown Tommy Waters' roommate because that was I a 92 he, I, pick. I think he was, Kelly. I think he was. And actually, the draft tonight will only consist of five rounds. Yeah. You yeah. know, and one of those drafts, probably you're talking about, went 46 rounds. Of course, the modern-day draft has gone 40. But now with the elimination of cost-cutting measures because of all this mess, a lot of minor league teams have been cut, so they'll only draft five players 
tonight, each team. The projected number one pick is Arizona first baseman Spencer Torkelson, who um, uh, you know he's going to have to be tough with a name like Spencer Torkelson, right? Um, but it's projected that with the Tigers with the number one pick will take Torkelson. But as a Tigers fan, he will probably, if he goes to Detroit, be as effective as a screen door in a submarine. Yeah, Kelly, um, Kelly Wood, then that, that's not very effective in case no, no. Uh, you want to visualize that uh, no. when it goes underneath the water. Right. Uh, Kelly, how, how did you... How did you get stricken with being a? And I know, I know how much you, you're genuine. You love these teams, but yeah. my word, the Detroit Tigers and the Cincinnati Bengals—they're both pretty crappy, aren't they, Bob? I'm uh, consistent. I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're consistent. The Tigers were were big back in the late '60s when I was just old enough to start following baseball, right? You know, with Denny McLean and and that World Series against the Cardinals. So I just, when I was a kid, just started liking the Tigers and. Hmm. Have ever since. So when you're looking in the mirror, sometimes if the if the light is just right, do you see a big L on your forehead? I can't get through all the layers of fat. You know, to, <laughs> if I'm looking at myself in the and do I have to? Do I have to look at no, in the Check that, Kelly. You, you don't yeah. have to look at yourself in the mirror. I'm Thank I'm you. sorry for bringing that image up. I want to apologize. Yeah, Nobody ever the mirror. To do that. We, <laughs> we we feel sorry for the mirror every morning. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody All right. So, it, well, good. Am I right, guys? Real quickly, it's good that the team is not going to be raided by the major league uh, draft tonight, right? Yeah, that's that's the good thing yes. for college teams is they're going to be able to keep most of their players. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. I want to thank uh, Bo Cockfield for joining us. Thank you, Kelly, for setting that up for us. And of course, we always enjoy your input in the show. We'll be back tomorrow at one o'clock, everybody. Until then, Southern Miss. To the top. Slipping, slipping into the future. I want to fly like an eagle to the sea. Fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle till I'm free. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.